Good morning. The scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Uh, if you are using the Bible provided for you, the pa- you can find the passage on page 1014. So verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace... The grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the sub- subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Thank you, Volta. Let me encourage you to have a copy of God's Word open to you there. If it's, uh, as she said, if it's one of the Bibles provided for you there, it's page uh, 1014. Uh, your app or whatever you have there, First Peter. I don't know if you've ever had like a, a home remedy that was referenced, you know, you had something going on and someone's like, hey, I've got the solution for this. You know, and sometimes when you have something like that and people give advice, it's helpful, okay? Often, not so helpful. I mean, there's been times where you look back in history of like how, what people thought were helpful remedies to a certain situation. Like a, one thing I was reading about in history was at one time apparently um, that in certain places that if you were, uh, you know, to ward off getting a, a cold or sickness, you would tie a dirty sock around your neck, okay? And that would keep the sickness at bay. I don't know if that was like keeping people with germs away from you or what. I'm not sure what it was. But the, or another one was um, you would, uh, you know, for certain uh, remedy, you would uh, take a rattlesnake and kill it, which is always a good thing to do. And then you would put that in a jar and let it sit there. Then you would drink the juice, you know, that and everything. I mean, it's just some weird remedies, right? You know, certain things. And, you know, sometimes people, they have good, off, good, good advice to give you for something. And sometimes it's not so helpful. Why do I bring that up? It's because what we're reading about here in in Peter is we're reading about some remedies that Peter is referencing for these people who are going through difficult times or going through trials. Uh, These people were going through uh, a, a time of suffering, and so... What Peter's offering for them in this moment is, is to try to help them through that. These Christians who are walking through this difficult time, and they were scattered abroad, and he's writing to them and saying, here's how you get through this. Here's, here's how you, um, yeah, you, you can survive this and even thrive during it. And the first thing we looked at was he said to embrace your identity of who they were in Christ. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, of, of this embracing who you are in Christ. If, if, if for nothing else, no matter what, is, what else is going around you, if, if you can understand who you are in Christ, that's helpful. It doesn't solve all the problems, but it's helpful to you to, to put it in perspective and for you to live uh, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, like Titus says. Uh, then we talked about how that he then moves into, uh, in verses 3 through 9, he talks about praise God for his mercy. And, and one of the things he's talking about specifically is about them being born again to a living hope, like we talked about last week, or a future inheritance. And, and he even talks in this, in this text, 
text that we looked at last week of how trials are even necessary to, to test our faith and to show us genuine. And then uh, he ends uh, this, that section there by talking about salvation in verse 9. What he's going to do in this text that we have before us today, verses 10 through 12, is he's continuing that conversation about salvation. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this idea of salvation. And he knows, and Peter's continuing this conversation because he knows that that is going to be the ultimate encouragement for those who are suffering, is that if their sins are forgiven, then if we truly live in light of that, then we can understand some of those other things that happen in life and we can get through them in a much better way. So this is what he's doing. He's continuing the conversation. And so this is the remedies he's offering. It's not tying a dirty sock around your neck. It's not putting a rattlesnake in, in, in juice and drinking or something. This is, this is good, solid advice and, and biblical advice for us and how we walk through difficult times here. Now, the reason why he continues talking about salvation is because um, salvation from sin is just multifaceted. It's much more than just not going to hell when you die. And sometimes I think we reduce salvation to that. Now, certainly it is that, but it is more than that. It's more than just this idea of, okay, if I ask Jesus to forgive me my sins, then I don't have to pay the penalty of sins and go to hell for all eternity. And the Bible speaks of hell as a literal place. The Bible speaks of hell as a place where that if we die without Christ, that is our destiny. That's why we need to accept Christ and follow Christ and believe in him. But salvation is much more, is multifaceted and has, has uh, other blessings and, and other meaning attached to it than just that. So I don't want to minimize that when I say that. But I'm just trying to show you what Peter's going to show is that it's more multifaceted than that, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this idea of salvation here through four points this morning and uh, then uh, hopefully make some good application along the way. But I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask God's blessing Whenever we open the word of God, we want to just ask God for his spirit to guide us in our thinking. And so uh, let me just remind you, I, from time to time I make this reminder, and I haven't done it in a while. When, when someone up here like myself or anyone else is praying, uh, please use that time to pray along, okay? This is not just listening to the performance prayer, waiting for them to be done, right? This is a time for you to be praying. And so what I'm doing here is how I see this. I, I see this as, a, as me leading our congregation in this prayer. And so as you hear the things that I pray about, in your heart, you ask God for the same things. And, and, and you agree with that. And as the Lord brings things to your mind to pray for as I'm praying, you pray silently to the Lord in that. So uh, this is just a good reminder today that when we do these times of prayer like this, it, it is a time for you to participate in prayer as well, not just wait for me to stop talking. That's what the sermon is for, right? You just wait for me to stop talking with the sermon, okay? Prayer is much better than that, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do want your spirit to guide us. Salvation is such a gift. And trying to talk about that and, and communicate it in a way that would be uh, that, that we capture some of that is, is, a, a, is a huge task here. And God, we need your spirit to take the words of, of Peter here, the scripture here, and, and to, to, to apply them to our hearts. 
Uh, there's a lot of things that are distracting to us right now. Um, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just be able to remove all those distractions, whether it be past failures or whether it be the difficult week that we've had or whether it be uh, even good things that we're looking forward to doing later on today or this week or whatever it is. I just pray we'd be able to just rest and put all those things aside and focus on this text of scripture. And I pray that I'd be able to communicate the truths of this text in a way that is faithful to your intentions here in the word here and that uh, I would be able to communicate in a way that is, is helpful as well. So we're, we're pausing now to ask for your blessing and your guidance because we all desperately need it. And we're grateful for this wonderful gift of salvation and that is so multifaceted. And we pray that we'd have a better understanding of it as a result of studying this text today. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So we want to talk about, the, I told you there's going to be four points. that When you look at this, it's interesting in verse 10 when he says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that they searched and they inquired diligently. Here what Peter is doing is he's going back. He's taking us back in history and he's showing us, okay, this, is, this, this message of salvation is something that, that prophets talked about for a long time. And what he's doing though is he's showing them and he's trying to compare them to say, okay, they had partial knowledge. You have an even greater understanding of this. And this is a way to encourage them as they're going through difficult times. And so first of all, this is what salvation means. It means that you understand aspects of God's plan more clearly than Moses, Isaiah, or the other prophets. Have you ever considered that? I mean, you read through Moses, and, and this was a guy who his face shone. I mean, he, he was up with, G, uh, with, the, with God on the mountain, came down, his face was shining so much, like, you gotta, you gotta put a veil over your face. We can't even look at you anymore because it's so bright, and he had been changed physically as a result of him being in the presence of God. This is a guy who, who uh, God used to, to lead the people out of, the, the, of bondage and, and lead them into the promised land or up to the promised land because he couldn't go into the promised land but he was the one that led him up to that place Joshua then finishes the 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 the, the job there and brings him in um this is this is an incredible prophet of God in fact when when uh, Jesus is establishing his messianic identity, he, he goes back to Moses. If you read the book of Hebrews, that you will understand that it's actually the, the, the example of Moses that Jesus is being compared to. So Moses is this incredible guy. Isaiah is one of, uh, uh, one of the most commonly uh, quoted prophets in the New Testament is you, know, you look at Isaiah and, and what he wrote in the New Testament. Jesus quotes him. Other people quote him. He was a tremendous prophet used of the Lord. And all these other prophets that we've talked about in times past as well, Daniel, and, and, and we think of even those who wrote the minor prophets, all of those people had an incomplete message about the salvation that you and I understand and so what, what Peter, he's encouraging the people going through trials with, he's saying, listen, you have a better understanding. You understand God's plan more clearly than these people did. Now, this does not mean, I want to be very clear about this here, this does not mean that God's grace and his salvation were absent from Old Testament prophets. That is not what I'm saying at all. But what it does mean is that they didn't have a full understanding of how God was going to bring about every nuanced part of the salvation plan. They simply had to trust God that he would accomplish his plan. 
And they had to do it with impartial knowledge. But whereas you and I, we can look back, we can look back and we can see what God has done in, in the plan that was unfolded. And this is the message of encouragement that Peter's giving to the people going through a difficult time. He says, you understand this. This salvation, this, this gift that's supposed to encourage you through this difficult time, that your sins can be forgiven, that, that this hope that you have here, he says, you understand this in such a more clear way. I understand that God has given this to you and caused you to be born in a time where there is a time where you have a more complete understanding of this. So let it encourage your soul. Let it encourage you. And it doesn't mean that we're better than, of course, or, or that we have uh, 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 or more significance. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we should be thankful, right? We should be thankful. in the prophets, what did they do? It says here in the text that they searched. This is verse 10. They searched and inquired carefully. They, 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 they searched, they diligently searched the scriptures that were available to them, and they asked questions, and, and they, they dug into the text, and they were trying to figure out, okay, what is this saying here? And they were prophesying according to the Spirit's leading here. But notice there, it says that later on, it was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were serving not themselves, but to you. You see, Peter's making this very personal. He's making this a very personal message and saying that these people went on before you and they didn't have all the knowledge that you had and they were faithful even through difficult times. Those prophets that I mentioned, Moses, did he have an easy life? Did he have an easy ministry? I mean, these are the guys, okay, Moses, and I, sometimes I read through this and I just like, it, it's an encouragement to me because sometimes I get discouraged or whatever, but I look at someone like Moses. And here he is, he's trying to obey God, imperfect as he is, and he brings them out, and they get into the wilderness, and what do they do? They're just complaining against him all the time. It got to the point where they, they said, you know, why did you lead us out of Egypt? We were better off. We had garlic there. <laughs> you know, that's the bar? Garlic? Really? Okay. You know, this is what they were saying? They got so upset with Moses that they wanted to kill him at times. His ministry was not easy. His ministry was difficult. And he did that with the, just trusting that God was going to accomplish his plan. He was going to do what he said he was going to do. You and I, we have the advantage in difficult situations to be able to look back. And we look back and see, okay, yeah, it said, but Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus brought salvation to us. And so the more clear picture should be an encouragement to us. And so this reality that we have a more clear picture of God's plan, it really should instigate gratefulness and awe and worship. But it also should produce a hope and encouragement. Not understanding everything about God's plan should not lead us to discouragement or frustration. Instead, we search the scriptures and we ask questions of other believers and, of course, pray, uh, uh, pray to God for this, just like these prophets did. So it, it's really a, a path to encouragement and hope. But also what this does, it places a responsibility on us. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required, Right? And so if we have this greater understanding, this more clear picture, then we have this even greater responsibility, I believe. Now, I'm not saying that Moses and, and the prophets, that they couldn't fulfill their, 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 their role uh, accordingly. Of course they did, and they could, and they did, and we are benefiting from it. But if we have a better picture of what God's plan of salvation is, and we know all the nuances of it in a much greater de- detail and have a much clearer picture, then we are responsible for that. And that's why we, we live according to it, and that's why we tell people about it. 
because to whom much is given, much is required. So as we look at this text here, and what Peter's trying to do is he's trying to encourage people that are going through difficult times and all sorts of things. And, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, you're trying to encourage someone and you just don't know the words to say sometimes. And there's some frustration there. You're like, man, I just really want to help this person. And, and maybe you've been there before. And, and, and you're just like, man, I, I don't know what to say here. Um, and sometimes you just need to listen. Sometimes you need to talk. Sometimes you don't know what to say. It's tough to give encouragement at times, but I'll tell you this. Resting in our salvation, resting in what God has provided for us through Jesus Christ, that is the hope that we have to get through anything. If, if we truly believe that our sins are forgiven in Christ, then that should help us get through whatever life throws at us. So not only is it that we have an understanding, a greater understanding of God's path, uh, plan of salvation more clearly, but secondly in the text, what we see in verse 11 is that we have the example of Christ to follow, okay? So these prophets, and, and, and Peter is going to make two comparisons here um, uh, to try to encourage them. He's comparing it first to the prophets, and then he's going to compare it to the angels later on. But here, one of, the experience, one of the things is he's saying, listen, you have... Uh, a greater understanding of this. And then he brings up Christ in this. And in verse 11, inquiring what person or time, the spirit of Christ in them. So God's spirit, Jesus' spirit was even in, in work with them, okay, these prophets, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, verse 11. And so he brings into the salvation plan, Peter brings us in this idea of Christ's example, he says, okay, you have Christ's example. They, they had to search diligently for it and try to figure out what all this meant. What is a suffering servant? Isaiah, he was talking about the suffering servant. He didn't fully understand all that was. He believed it, but he didn't understand how that was going to work out. And we see that play out in the New Testament. How the, even the disciples, they're just like, wait a minute here. Are you going to restore, like in Acts chapter 2, like, okay, so Jesus, you suffered. Now are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And this is how they thought that Jesus was going to work his plan. And of course, that wasn't the plan that all along, that this national representation that, that Jesus' plan was going to overthrow Rome, that wasn't the plan. They thought it was. And so it was this in, uh, unclear, incomplete picture that they had. But here what Peter's saying, he's telling these people, and they're going through difficult times, they're scattered abroad, they're going through all sorts of things, they're being persecuted, they're losing their jobs because of their Christianity, they're losing their income, and, and they're losing their possessions, and, and, and hope is being lost. And he says, listen, but you have the example of Christ to follow. Moses didn't have the example of Christ. Isaiah didn't have the example of Christ. You do. You have the example of Christ to follow. So for Jesus, what was it is that, you know, we just see the suffering is part of the plan for all of us, even Jesus. It's not a popular message. It's not something that I enjoy saying. It's not something I want to believe in myself because who likes suffering? But the scriptures just teach that suffering is part of the plan. It's part of the plan. We talked about that a little bit last week. For Jesus, part of the suffering was that he became human. He, he lived a life of this sin-cursed world. He, he experienced sleepless nights and uh, hunger and pain and all those things that he didn't have to experience. So all the difficult things of life that you go through, and, and, and we were praying for Jamie Bronze earlier today about uh, uh, one of the things that Chris has to pray for is just good rest and good sleep. You know, you've experienced, I think pretty much everyone here has probably experienced what it's like to just have a sleepless night and how frustrating that is and and how the next day it just catches up with you and and all that stuff you understand that jesus experienced that jesus went through that one of the things i tell people all the time like when i do funerals and things is that jesus understands what it's like to lose a loved one 
Jesus stood outside of a tomb one day and he just wept because his friend had died. He experienced that suffering because it was part of the salvation plan. This is, you know, Christianity, this is what sets Christianity apart from all of the major religions is that our God experienced suffering as a human so that he could identify and so that he could live perfect obedience through all those types of things and thereby his righteousness and his holiness could be credited to our account if we believe in him. This is what separates Christianity apart. And so here we have Jesus embracing suffering as part of the plan here. And so for us, we understand that suffering is part of, uh, of what God has for us at times. But we also know that suffering is not wasted. We talked about that last week as part of our sanctification process. I'm not going to take time to turn there, and I don't have it on the screen, but if you're taking notes, just write down Romans 5 and write down James 1, okay? These are two, Romans 5 and James 1, these are two passages that clearly show that suffering or difficulty or trials are part of our sanctification process. They say, what's sanctification? What does that mean? Okay, theologically, we have some words to talk about our justification. That means our standing before God. That means that when God, he saves someone from their sins, he declares them not guilty from the sins that they truly are guilty for, and he makes their standing as innocent before the Father, okay? That's justification. We uh, are, are saved through faith, and so we believe in Jesus Christ. Then we say that, that what God, according to the scriptures, uh, it says that we are justified, Romans 5. 5 verse 1 talks about that. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Okay? That is how our standing before God is, because we are justified. But then the Bible also talks about sanctification. Okay? So by faith, by what God has done to work in us, that we are then justified. But sanctification is that process of us becoming more like Jesus Christ. It's our spiritual growth, if you will. It's the idea of becoming more and more separated. Sanctified means to be separate from. Okay? So separated from sin, but also has the idea of separated to God. So what the scriptures teach is that, that suffering, Romans chapter 5, James chapter 1, talks about this idea of suffering being an integral part of your sanctification and my sanctification process. Romans chapter 5 talks about the cycle. I often, I think I've talked through it here before, but sometimes when I lecture on this, I'll teach through this, uh, the cycle of sanctification here where it starts out that we have hope. Romans chapter 5 talks about this hope that we have, but then it talks about how that then sufferings come, which produce patience, which produce endurance, which produce greater hope. And so there's this cycle. Romans chapter 5, you just see this cycle in there, first five or six verses of it. It's a beautiful text. I bring that up to show you is that this is what Peter's reminding them of. He's reminding the people saying, okay, I know it's difficult. I know it's terrible. I know that you're in pain. But understand this, that what Jesus' example is showing, that it is for good. Okay? It's not going to be wasted. This is the reason why the book of Revelation was written. Some of you I know would love to do a sermon series in the book of Revelation and what all the bowls and the trumpets and all that stuff are meaning and all the, the, the symbolism of all that and stuff. And, you know, quite honestly, if I'm going to be transparent, I'm still trying to figure out some of those nuances of it. But let me just tell you about Revelation, why the book was written. This is the most important thing. The book of Revelation, Revelation was written because J John is the last remaining apostle. The others are dead. Most of them, all of them, if not all of them, have been martyred for their faith. John is now on the island of Patmos. He's exiled. He's been dipped in burning oil. He's been tortured. He's been uh, in, in, you know, persecuted for his faith, and he's in exile. And then he receives a vision. 
Now, the reason why this vision comes, the reason why Revelation is there, is because you remember when the ascension took place? When Jesus, after he resurrected from the dead, do you remember then when he went up to heaven and then they're standing there looking and waiting for him to come back and the angel says, don't stand here, go on, get busy because you know what? He's going to come back in the same way. The people, the Christians, they would meet together every day for that first week or so because they thought Jesus was coming back at any moment. He just had said he was coming back. We, book, we read the book of Thessalonians, and one of the reasons why Paul wrote the book of Thessalonians is because people were mocking Christians saying, where's his return? You said he was coming back. He's not back yet. Where is he at? Paul writes to assure them. Same thing's happening in Revelation. What's happened is, is that John, the last remaining apostle, persecution, instead of getting blessed, is getting worse. We have persecution ramping up. We see this in church history. We see in that first century there, persecution from Roman history just is increasing more and more. And Christians are starting to wonder, did we get this wrong? Here, Jesus died and he rose again. This is more than 50 years ago. And and here, what's happening here? What's happening here? Did did we misunderstand something? This hope of Jesus returning was waning. That's why Revelation was written. Because what what what, what he does there is he shows, yes, I know that it's bad right now. In fact, I got got bad news for you. I'm going to show you that it's even going to get worse. But I'm going to tell you, that Jesus is coming back. That's the revelation. Chapter 21, where it talks about the new heaven and new earth coming down, a new Jerusalem coming down to the new earth, and then uh, the, the eternal uh, uh, fellowship with Christ. And he talks about how the, there is a marriage supper of the Lamb, and he talks about all this stuff. What is he doing there? He's saying, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Jesus is coming back, and he's setting all things right. But these things are not going to be wasted here. So as we look at all of what scriptures teach about sanctification, I've just done a very fast flyover of a few books here from Romans and Thessalonians and Revelation here. But what we see is we see that the sufferings are not going to be wasted. And let me tell you, I have a hard time believing that at times. I have a hard time believing that because I don't like suffering. I don't like difficulty. I don't like the things that are in my own life. I don't like the things that are happening around me. I just don't like it. But then I come back to a text like First Peter here, where he says, you got the example of Christ to follow. What does it say, Christ? It says he suffered first, and then what? Glory. Do you see the, t- do you see the order there? He says that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You see, that's the encouragement. The encouragement is that suffering happens, but glory will come. And the more we embrace suffering as part of our sanctification journey, the more we will benefit from that suffering. It doesn't mean we look for it. It doesn't mean we try to suffer. It doesn't mean we try to bring things in. But the more things that happen and we say, okay, God, this is part of your plan. This is part of, of how I can grow. And it doesn't mean we don't try to get peace from it or, or we're praying for uh, Jamie to, to, to have uh, healing from this and she's going to the doctors and things. It doesn't mean that we just sit back and say, okay, well, this is part of God's sanctification plan. I'm not going to try to get you know, any healing or things like that. That's not the application. But the application is as we're taking taking advantage of the things that God has graciously made available to us, we're still through every step of the way saying, God, what are you teaching me? God, how is this going to help me learn to lean on you more? How is this understanding Christ more? It's a beautiful thing that God's given to us. 
Glory comes after suffering. And we get glimpses of that in this life, but the full picture is in heaven. And one of the verses that I lean on, if I can just be transparent, I lean on this verse a lot, is Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be real to us. I lean on this verse because there's times where things just aren't going well or things that aren't going according to plan. Um, I lean on this. Uh, you remember um, several years ago, a few years ago, we had a, a health situation with my wife, and we walked through that. And um, I remember leaning on this verse, like, I don't know what the next step is going to be here. Um, but we know that God has a plan, and we know that glory is part of that plan. I like what one person said. He said this. He said, neither Christ nor his people received the crown of glory without the crown of thorns. You know, the glory that Jesus is even in some ways is in many ways is still waiting to receive. He endured the cross. He despised the shame first and foremost. So the application here is that we have the example of Christ to follow is that it's going to be worth it all. Remember that song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus? You know, the sufferings of Christ and the resurrection here, which Peter has mentioned earlier in the text, in verse 3, is proof that glory is on the other side of pain and difficulty in his life. But to see, the encouragement here is that we don't, we're not supposed to just white-knuckle it until this life is over. That's not, the, that's not what we take away from this. Okay, we'll just hang on until it's over. God will use even the most difficult of circumstances for our sanctification and for the good of others. How we walk through these things. Later on in this book, he, he, you know, Peter's going to say that you've got to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Okay? That people are going to say when you respond to life in a way in these difficulties, in a way that is just countercultural, and it just doesn't seem right or it doesn't seem like normal, that you can actually have joy in the midst of suffering, that not, not, not necessarily that you enjoy it or you want it, but you can just see and be rested in God's peace. People are going to say, how do you have this? How do you have this settled peace? I've heard story after story about Christians who are in the hospital or something, and, and a nurse or a doctor just says, listen, I've got to ask you a question. How are you so calm? I mean, how are you so, so at peace with, with this diagnosis or what lies ahead of you? And that Christian has the opportunity to say, well, I'll tell you why. Because I can rest in my Christ. I can rest in my Savior, my Messiah. That's what that text is talking about. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. So the application here is that Christ's example that we are to follow then shows us that there is good that comes from all things. I need to move on. So we've talked uh, about this idea that we have a more clear picture. Peter is saying that we have a more clear picture, and so we should be grateful for that. And so that is something that God's given us that it will help us in the difficult times. But then also that we have the, the example of Christ to follow. But then he brings up something else where he talks about that we are being served by the gospel or gospel teaching and preaching here. He says, listen, he says in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving, talk about the prophets, they were serving not themselves but you talking about these people that Peter was writing to, them, us by extension, in the things that have now been announced to you through the preaching of the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So he's saying that, listen, you're benefiting from the preaching and from, from, from the preaching of the gospel, that this good news that Jesus has brought up, you're, you're being served by this. So in the context of which you live, even amongst all the difficulty and all the, the, the trying times, He's saying, you're being served by this good news here, that it is assured. 
It'd be kind of be like, you know, I was, I was trying to think of an example like that, uh, how to illustrate this. But, and, and I'm not totally satisfied with this one, but we'll go with it anyway. Is that it, it's kind of like if, if, if there's a, a country at war and there's these battles happening and the soldiers are fighting and, and, uh, and things just don't look good. Things just don't look good. I mean, where they're at is like, you know, it looks like they're going to be taken. But then a, a message comes over the wire or they get, they get, they get a, you know, news to them where it says, listen, they surrendered. <laughs> they surrendered back in another city. Now, the bullets are still flying a little bit and stuff because they haven't got the message yet. And it's a little difficult and things like that. But, but they have surrendered. That would just bring hope in that moment. It's like, okay, we won. All right, it's, it's going to be over soon. We've got to wait for this to die down, but it, it, it's going to be okay here. You see, that good news, that, that message of hope that came to them serves them in that moment. And let me just encourage us to, that we rest in the fact that Christ has made the gospel message clear, that we can have forgiveness of sins if we believe in him. The prophets, they were not primarily serving themselves, but other people in future generations. There's an application point that I'm going to come back to in a minute. The apostles and even modern-day preachers, what we're doing is that we're trying to preach the good news for your benefit and for our benefit here. This is how it serves us. But the question is, is okay, well, how, does, how does it serve us then, okay, in a real practical way? Let me just list a, a couple practical ways here. Number one, if reconciliation with God is indeed possible, Okay, if that is truly possible that we can have our sins forgiven and that Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 talks about we can have peace with God, if reconciliation with God is indeed possible, then so is the, res- the, the, the reconciliation of broken relationships here on this earth. Maybe some of you are walking through some times of broken relationships. Maybe some of your marriages right now are rocky and you're trying to figure it all out and, and, it, and it's hard to press forward. Let me just encourage you. Here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that if the eternal relationship with the Father can be taken care of and there's good news that there's peace with a holy God, a perfectly holy God, that that's possible through Christ, then your marriage has hope, okay? That, that fractured relationship at work has hope. That relationship with your child has hope. Okay? Because if we have reconciliation with God possible, holy God, then so are these other relationships. Do you see how good news then serves us? Also, the gospel, it says that we are saved, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are saved for good works. So how does the gospel message serve us? Well, then we should make uh, working to make this world a better place a priority. But it informs in how we live this life here. And so if we're saved for good works, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, then, then, then that gives us clear marching orders that we make this world a better place. I love what the prophet Jeremiah talked about when they were under captivity is, is that, you know, the, the Israelites went into captivity and, and, and obviously they couldn't worship in their temple. They couldn't do all those things. The whole world was taken upside down. It'd be like, think about it this way, is if an invading army came in here and took over the country, took over the state, took over the country, and everything changes. I mean, your schools changes, your job changes. I mean, the, the government that you've been so used to, that we've become so accustomed to, that's all gone overnight, okay? Think about how upsetting that would be. Think about how the, we would, the, your bank accounts are frozen and all sorts of stuff. You've kind of lost everything. Think about how disorienting that would be, okay? That's what Israel was going through, okay? So in, 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 but in Jeremiah, what he's telling them to do, he says, here's how you respond to this. 
Now, Israel, being God's chosen people, they probably were thinking, okay, you know, get together an army and take the city back, okay? Let's go. To the barricades, everyone, let's go. You know, Les Mis, that scene, you know, to the barricades and all this fight happens. This is probably what they were expecting. We know the apostles were expecting a similar thing. But that's not what Jeremiah says and it's not what Jesus says. Jeremiah said, he says, here's what you do. He says, get a job. Work. Plant a garden. Make this world a better place. That doesn't mean he's not saying bury your head in the sand. He's not saying to ignore the problems. He's saying your job on this earth is to be the fragrance of God. Make this world a better place. Remember Ecclesiastes studies? This was so helpful to me in my, in my sanctification journey of studying through that book. Is that I really can enjoy this world. That doesn't mean that I make it my ultimate hope. It doesn't mean that this is where I find my ultimate satisfaction. But God says enjoy it. Enjoy this world. So this idea of how we're served by the gospel, now we're free then. We're free to make this world a better place. Not because we're trying to make it a utopia that will then usher a kingdom in or something like that. But no, it says that we're supposed to be the fragrance of Christ in this earth here. And that's what we're told to do here. So if the gospel says that we're safe for good works, we should make this world a better place. If God's kindness is meant to produce repentance, according to Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, then confessing and forsaking sin should be a regular occurrence in our lives. I see, I'm just trying to point out how the gospel serves us. It serves us then if we're confessing sins and repenting on a regular, uh, on a regular uh, basis in our lives, isn't that going to make our relationships at home better? Isn't that going to make our relationship at church better and relationships at work better? If, if we just say, okay, I'm going to be sensitive to sin, and then when I sin, I'm going to confess and forsake it because God's kindness, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says it's meant to lead me to repentance. And so I'm going to repent. I'm going to be a person who's asking God to forgive me my sins. When I'm convicted of sin, I'm going to make it right. You see, this is how we're served by the gospel message here. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, yes, you've lost everything. Yes, you're going through difficult times. But the gospel message is serving you. This is what the prophets, they talked about. And it was mainly for your benefit so that you would know how to live in this world here and have forgiveness of sins. So we can say it this way here is that the gospel not only informs what to expect for the future, it also sets the expectations for this life as we wait for a future home. Okay, that's how we're served. We're served by the gospel message. Not only do we have the, 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 the hope of a future eternity, but the gospel also informs how we live each and every day. So it's a beautiful thing that we have the example of Christ, that we know the, the, the salvation story so much more, and we have our expectations set for us on how to live this life. So just like the prophets, we're all part of the larger plan. Okay, they were serving future generations. So I guess the question is, what's your role? What's my role? How will future generations benefit from your Christian living and your ministry? How will, excuse me, how will future generations benefit from what I'm doing? I ask myself that question all the time. How will my kids benefit from how I'm living out the Christian life? What about my grandchildren if God gives us those? What about generation after generation? You know, one of the things I love about being part of a church that is as established as ours is, is that we're standing on the shoulders of people who are faithful for years and years and years. We have people here that they're part of a multi-generation of being members of our church here. 
Every time we add to the church like we did today, I always kind of think of like, okay, what, what is that relationship going to produce in the future here? How are we going to, the, the people who are partnering together to minister here, how are we going to impact future generations? Back in the early 1920s, we had a, a theological debate going on in this world. This really started in the late 1800s in America. This, this theological debate started, and it was called, um, historians ended up calling it modernism, and um, you know, that term has kind of lost its significance, uh, obviously. But what, why they called it that was because at the turn of the century, from the 1800s to the 1900s, there was this teaching that had started getting popularity. It was very popular in Germany, particularly, but it became very popular uh, here in America, too, where the inspiration of the scriptures started to be denied. The inerrancy of the scriptures were denied. Uh, the, even the, the veracity of miracles, whether or not miracles were true, was denied. And so the Bible became, uh, in many churches, um, even here, uh, in this area of this idea of uh, more of a mythological book that we were just supposed to kind of gain some, some positive uh, lessons from, kind of like an Aesop's fables type thing. That's how the scriptures were regarded. Our church at that time was part of what was called the Northern Baptist Convention. Later on, it's going to change its name to the, to the American Baptist uh, uh, Church's uh, Convention. But at that time, it was called the Northern Baptist Convention, separated from the Southern Baptist Convention over the issue of slavery. So during this time, our church, this church here was part of the Northern Baptist Convention. The Northern Baptist Convention began to embrace this new understanding of the scriptures, that it was only mythological, that it was not true, the miracles were not true, virgin birth really didn't happen, all those types of things. And so as part of being part of that convention, this church in the early 1900s, we said we, can't, we can no longer be part of this group and affirm this teaching. And so in, in the early 1900s, this church voted to remove ourselves from fellowship with that, and we joined another association who had started at that time, uh, which became known as the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, that was fighting over this one issue. Now, the reason why I bring this story up, and some of you remember, remember this, not because you lived through it, but because you've heard it before. Um, but, uh, but some of you remember this before. Um, I missed a, out on a good age joke there, but I, I, I didn't. Um, but the point is, is this, is... Um, you know, the, uh, um, we are benefiting today from that small group of people who met in this room. It was only in the back because this part wasn't here yet. But that was, they met right where the Schultzes are sitting, kind of back there. They met right there and they made that decision to say, we are going to stand for truth. We stand on, that, on the shoulders of them. And, we're, and I'm grateful that we are part of a, a church that's standing true to the, 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 the authority of the scriptures in that. And I look back on history and then say, we are benefiting from them. But then I look forward in year 2060. Are people going to be gathered in this room? Are they going to be gathered in another room at a different location? Are they going to be still standing on the, 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 the authority of the scriptures that we're trying to preach here? What decisions are we making together collectively and individually that are going to help us stand for Christ and be a gospel witness in this community? You see, the prophets, they served a future generation. We're serving future generations. Are we taking it seriously?
Or are we only concerned about our own little bubble here? We can't do that. We can't do that. You know, I'm going to finish up here. I'll just say this, is that the decisions we make today are, will have an impact on future generations. You say, Jeremy, you got, I, I see the outline. You have one more point, and, and, and you know, t- yeah, I see the clock, too, and I know how long you take on points, and anxiety is kind of building in your soul a little bit here. I'm just going to mention this one, and then we'll be done. Here's the thing that he talks about at the end. He says, you're part, this is salvation's, what salvation means, is that you're part of a cosmic curiosity. He says, things in which the angels long to look into at the end there. Angels long to look into this as this idea of intense desire. It has an idea of craving. The word even at times is used for lust. I mean, this idea of this strong, intense desire that these angels have, this desire, this craving to look into, and looking at this idea of stooping down, looking at something intently here. Uh, or if, uh, um, you know, I, my, my, my older brother who, uh, when we get together, it's amazing how as we get older, things change. And my brother now, what he does is that when he has to look at something like this, he takes his glasses off and looks at it. Now, some of you do the exact same thing, right? You know, what are you doing? You're looking intently, right? You're taking a look intently uh, to try to see. This is what angels do about the matters of salvation here. Now, why do they do that? There's a couple reasons. One is because it's glorifying God and they're, they're, they're just amazed at that. But here's the other reason. There's no salvation plan for angels. Second Peter, Jude makes it very clear. When angels sinned, they were done. No redemptive plan, no salvation. You can understand why they're curious. What is this such about us that God wants to save us? Well, you know it's not that. It's what God's plan is. And so we're part of a cosmic curiosity here. And what Peter's doing here, he says, I know you're going through difficult times. Let me compare you to prophets. You have more knowledge. You have the example of Christ to follow. You have all these things that you can, you can, you can see this and, and that you have the gospel that's serving you, that the prophet's given. Now let me encourage you also, I want to compare you to angels for a second. They're just so curious about this because they don't even have it afforded to them. So no matter what happens in this life, understand the forgiveness of sins is possible. And angels are amazed at it. It's an amazing thing to think about. Peter's discussion about salvation is meant to bring hope and encouragement to people who are going through various trials. Remember we talked about what that word various meant last week. So the first question I have for us is really, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? The Bible says that we're born in our sin and that we need to be forgiven of our sins. And the Bible says the only way for us to be forgiven of our sins is not through good works. It's not through, you know, straightening our lives up and, and making decisions to follow God. Those are important things to do, but that's not the way of salvation. The Bible says that we have to believe in Jesus' plan. What Jesus did is he lived a life of perfect obedience, the one that we can never live. He died f- Uh, on the cross, experiencing death that he didn't have to experience. He rose again, showing that God's wrath could be satisfied, right? And then the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. The Bible says it's through faith in Christ that we are saved. And so the question is, is are you a believer? So I ask, are you a believer? And so I want you to wrestle with that. And some of you say, well, I've been in church a long time. I, I didn't ask that. I said, are you truly trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? 
And you say, well, yeah, I mean, I, my parents have taught me this message from the time I was little. Again, respectfully, I didn't ask that question. I said, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Do we repent of our sins? Do you ask God to forgive you your sins? This is what the scriptures teach us how we have salvation. So if you don't have that, it's going to be very difficult, nigh impossible, to truly have hope in this life. Okay? So if you're not a Christian, the Bible says today is a day of salvation. Okay? Believe in Christ. Call out to him for salvation. The Bible says if we call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Trusting in him and him alone. Let me encourage you, if you're not a believer, to do that even right here where you're sitting. You can just pray silently to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. And if you have questions about that, I want you to talk to me afterwards. To talk to someone that you know here that, that, could, um, uh, that could help you with some of that because that is the most important question. So let's say you say, well, no, I am trusting Christ alone for my salvation. Then let me just encourage you to be encouraged today. Even if you lose much, you've already gained everything. The clouds of uncertainty will one day break apart and all will be revealed. The prophets now have complete knowledge. When they prophesied, they didn't know all of it. But one day, now they do, now that they're with God. And the same is true with us. We don't understand everything. But one day, you will. For, For now, we walk by faith, encouraged by Christ's example.